This is the second half of a special two-part episode featuring the Vice-Chancellor of the University of Queensland, Professor Deborah Terry. If you'd like to hear the first half, please follow the link in the episode show notes. Welcome to Illumin, where we explore some interesting issues and important questions in education. I'm Jacinda Isla, Principal of Brisbane Girls Grammar School and your host. Professor Terry, I'd love to talk about your career. I think people will be very interested, obviously, to learn a little about its origins. You've obviously spent an entire career and a very impressive career in education institutions, and I suspect that universities particularly have been very much the backdrop to your life. What was your path? So you've progressed to this position of Vice-Chancellor and President of the University of Queensland. What were some of the most formative experiences, perhaps memorable moments or even advice that you received as a young scholar that helped set you on this path? I do feel that I've been very fortunate, that I've had support and advice of great mentors throughout my early life and career and and that I had, you know, and I know it's a huge privilege to have had great support for my own education. You know, my parents did move around quite a lot and uh, spent my formative years as a boarder at uh, Girls Grammar School in Canberra in, in the 1970s. But what that did, it was really did expose me to a broad range of educational and extracurricular opportunities. And I felt that I got wonderful groundings in in really core disciplines, you know, wonderful maths teachers and English and modern history, you know, which really helps you dissect problems and understand issues, obviously, uh, from a historical perspective. But I felt that I had just this most amazing grounding. But looking back, I've, I've always been quite fascinated and intrigued by the complexity of human behaviour. I was always really interested in understanding why humans behave as they do, why humans behave in particular circumstances in different ways. And so, you know, when I left school and went on to enrol in psychology at ANU, you know, I really felt that I'd found my place in the world but was very much in that research space. I mean, psychology is often defined as the scientific study of human behaviour. And I was, I just loved that. I loved that notion of research and designing studies to really try and understand why people behave as they do, but in a way then to be able to come up with findings that would then impact on, you know, ways in which we could deal with issues more broadly as a society. So I was fortunate. And that passion is still there. I often say when you interview people, I, I wish people could see the facial expressions of the people I'm speaking to. It's an involuntary response to their topic at times. But of course, Professor Terry, there must have been some challenges too, obviously, that you had faced along the way. And you are, as we've said, the first woman to be appointed to this very significant position. And yet I believe, uh, despite all of those mentors and that encouragement, there was one PhD supervisor, he need not be named, who once told you that upon becoming pregnant you had in fact sacrificed your academic career. What were your experiences around that? <laughs> You've certainly done your research, Jacinda, it's very impressive and that is, is correct. I mean I had a very good relationship with my PhD supervisor, he'd been my honours supervisor as well and he was a great scholar. He'd come out of the Michigan School of Social Science and really taught me a huge amount 
and I was entering the final year of my PhD expecting my first baby. I didn't think it was that unusual and uh, convividly I recall telling him about this and you know I'd always regarded him as, as a very sort of open-minded quite progressive person and assumed he would be quite positive about this news but he was speechless. <laughs> he looked completely stunned and eventually he did say to me you'll never make it in academia. It's impossible. And, you know, I think it was an issue we never talked about again. He didn't bring it up and I just, you know, kept going and, and then obviously came up to, to Queensland and un unfortunately he uh, died uh, soon after, which was very sad. But I think actually in retrospect, and I've often thought about it, I mean, he was, you know, back then, you know, he was probably telling me actually that's what the data would, would, would have said. But I think he helped me because, in a sense, he gave me a bit of a challenge. I thought, well, I'm not going to respond to this. But I think more seriously, it made me realise that I couldn't assume that the next step in my career would be easy or automatic, and especially as a female. And I think, in, in, in a sense, he, he gave me a sense of that at the time. And, and it was always in the back of my mind that, you know, I, I did need to prove myself across you know, multiple areas to take advantage of opportunities and, and you know, so for, for that I'm thankful. So it perhaps contributed to your resilience and a willingness to test your mettle yeah. as, as yeah. that served you well. So moving on then, I guess, tying to that is leadership. Now, I often think obviously there's much debate about leaders who are good leaders, what does leadership entail? A lot of people, quite frankly, shying away from it. It's not such an appealing prospect for many, given it's so demanding. So I'm always interested to know what is it that you enjoy about being a leader and this is a wonderfully huge, never dull I am sure and I suspect sometimes all-consuming position but, but what is it that you enjoy, what is it that you even love? I mean it's a huge privilege and huge privilege to, to be in the role, um, you know UQ is a great institution and no day is the same as any previous day but there's you know, enormous satisfaction that comes from the role. And I did, I had a mentor early on because when I was working very much as an academic in psychology, I had, you know, I loved teaching. I, with a colleague, ran quite a big uh, centre and we had lots of students doing research. And I, you know, I thought I had the most wonderful job in the world. And I can remember talking to him, he was talking to me about going into leadership roles. And I, and I said to him, but, but how could I leave all of that behind? I just love it so much. And he said, well, actually what you learn is that you can have more impact from a leadership role than you have in your original role. And he, he was absolutely right because for me what's the most rewarding part of it is hopefully setting up an environment for others to be successful. Our students, our staff, our early career researchers, our early career academics. And for me that's the most rewarding and, and in a sense it's far more rewarding than what I could ever do in my own small part of the university. I can relate to that, Professor Terry. I, often people have asked, do you miss the classroom? And, and when I was in that classroom, I could never imagine leaving it. And I imagined leadership to be all about admin. And, and I thought, why on earth would you want to do that job? But, but it is a privilege, as you say. And, and I love your concept of creating an environment for others to be successful. So if we turn to young people now, who are, of course, at the core of our education institutions, a recent survey I saw revealed that the pandemic, 
pandemic and its lasting negative impacts on their health, their well-being and, of course, their disrupted education was at the top of their list of concerns about the future. And, of course, followed behind that were fears about climate change, concerns about equity and discrimination. They are all very big and very real issues for our adolescents of today. Do you think that educational institutions are some of the best organisations, of course, to help address and work with young people to solve these issues? I do think so. And I think, you know, for young people having, you know, particularly come through the pandemic, which has been such a challenging period and has had so much impact on, on their lives, but also, you know, the world's facing some, some very significant issues as we look to the future whether that's the pandemic, climate change, concerns about equity and discrimination, but concerns about big, big divisions in our societies. And I think educational institutions, schools, universities play an absolutely critical role. I mean, obviously, one of our, going back to what the mission of a university, it is about sharing and disseminating knowledge. And education, through our, our courses, plays a role in that, really understanding, you know, we have students studying across all professions and also deep study in humanities and, and sciences and other areas. But I think, I think that helps. I think the second part of it is that universities do create new knowledge and, you know, we're about solving problems and I think once, you know, our students get access to that and get a sense of what we do through our research programs and many of them will be involved in them as uh, research placements, honour students, PhD, but if you think of the life-changing things that have come out of our universities, IVF, bionic ear, spray on skin, they have emerged out of our universities. Our vaccine team was working day and night around the UQ vaccine and that work will no doubt go into vaccines into the future and, you know, we're going to continue to need to respond to future pandemics, future strains of COVID, flu and that vaccine development is going to make a difference. So I think, I think that's the second part. And the third part is I think we have to be role models ourselves as institutions. You know, we're big employers and it's how we deal with those issues. So how do we deal with reconciliation? How do we deal with diversity issues that we have in our own institution? How do we think about our carbon footprint? So UQ, under my predecessor, Peter Hoy, established a large solar farm out at Warwick, 64 megawatts. Now, when that is fully up and running, it will allow us to offset 100% of our energy use from, with, with renewable power from our own assets. But we become a role model as well as so. Our education is really important for, for young people. Our research and getting a sense of what that research is about and what it delivers. But also I think we do have a responsibility to be role models and to be active in dealing with the issues within our own communities. As I say, carbon footprint, diversity, reconciliation, sexual misconduct, these are all issues that we as big institutions need to be actively dealing with ourselves. And as you say, bringing that education, the research and the rich culture, it inspires hope. It helps lift young people beyond their current circumstances. But you did just then refer to the word division and, you, and divisions in society. We know that at times it feels incredibly fractured, polarised. What role do you see for education in uniting our communities? It's at two levels. One is we know education is transformative. It 
transformed my life, would have transformed all of our lives. It gives us opportunities that we wouldn't have had access to otherwise. And we know that access to education, high quality education, changed the lives and ambitions of whole families and of whole communities. So education in terms of that transformative impact is absolutely critical and the ripple effects of that are huge and they do help address those social inequities and disparities and we must address them. We absolutely must address them and we know participation in university education is not as high in regional and remote Australia as it is in our urban cities. It's not as high in outer metro areas as it is in inner metro and we have to address that. We know that it differs across socioeconomic status. We know that participation for our Indigenous communities is not as high as it needs to be and we have to address that. So I think that's, that's one part. The other part, I think you do bring unity and understanding through debate, through dealing with and acknowledging the issues and what can we do about them and how can we address them and what are the ways of taking up the challenges and being prepared to hear the challenges. No, you're not doing enough or the community's moving too slowly or, you know, in the university sense, you talk about this but you're not moving fast enough. I think it's coming back to that environment of debate and freedom of expression and challenging and that's, that's also part of, I think building economic and social prosperity into the future and and both are so critical. And finding that common ground, as you say, that collective uh, response to some pretty challenging issues is something that young people, and and I can absolutely confirm that's certainly the case for secondary school students. Mm -hmm. So if I turn my final question to them, Professor Terry, if you reflect back on your time as a student, you've spoken quite a bit about being a university student, but Mm -hmm. being at school, do you have any thoughts to share with them, many of them about to perhaps enter the doors of your university in 12 months or some? them of course from Girls Grammar have just arrived. You know make the most of your last years or your last year of of school. I I think sometimes we put a lot of pressure on on young people. (laughs) I was talking to some scholarship students the other day and one of them was talking a bit about this that actually the time frames are really the next two to three years. It's not what you're going to do in 10 years or, or 20 years and I think sometimes we put so much pressure on young people we do it at universities, to, to have it all worked out. Now, my, uh, what I would say to students coming to university, think about what you want to do at university. Think about what you're passionate about. Think about what you really enjoy. But if you get to university and you find it's not quite what you want, there are many ways that you can shift courses, you can add, you can move into a double degree, you can change areas that you're majoring in. There are many, many ways to do that. And you shouldn't feel that you've got to be absolutely certain of what you want to do now because many of us weren't. Some were, but but many of us weren't. And as I say, when I'm often talking to students, in fact, I was talking to another one yesterday, I think she'd started in science, law, had stayed in law, but realised that actually she wanted to do economics and and law. And, and, you know, these shifts happen all the time and then students find their place and, and, and really thrive. But I guess my other piece of advice, and I'm sure it's advice that you give, is to be brave, courageous, challenge yourself to step out of your your comfort zone, but also ultimately be compassionate to yourself and, and, and to others.
be kind to yourself and, and be kind to others around you. So beautifully put. Thank you, Professor Terry, for you know sharing such an inspiring and compelling account of what you see as the purpose and value of education institutions, particularly universities, and also for sharing something about your personal experience. Very reassuring, I'm sure, for young people to listen to and very wise counsel to be brave, to be courageous and to challenge yourself. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Illumin, a podcast by Brisbane Girls Grammar School. Music for this podcast was written and performed by former Year 12 student Alicia Seng. To ensure you never miss an episode of Illumin, please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. And to learn more about the school, visit the website at www.bggs.qld.edu.au.